Pillow Talk, the official Rudding Park podcast. Join me, Peter Banks, uh, for our fourth episode of Pillow Talk, where I chat to Richard Dunn, our resident astronomer, uh, about stargazing. Um, Richard, welcome. Uh, a real-life astronomer. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Richard uh, has helped establish lar- Europe's largest dark sky park and uh, last year helped North York Moors and Dales National Park become the International Dark Sky Reserves. And Richard has been helping us for the past few years with our stargazing experiences Mm. where we have our guests and they go onto the rooftop spa and look through a telescope. Richard, it's marvellous to meet a real-life astronomer. Tell us how you uh, you got started. Well, it's great to be here. Well, I'm I'm from the industrial end of South Yorkshire, so we didn't see many stars when I was a kid, I've got to say. (laughs) In fact, most of the flashing things I could see in the sky were the very tall traffic lights at the end of the street. (laughs) So, so yeah, it wasn't that so much. So, um, thinking back on it, it was all those fantastic kids' science fiction things, you know, Thunderbirds and... Star Trek. Yeah, predate Star Trek. Actually, my favourite, which is coming out on Blu-ray very shortly, is Fireball XL5, and it was in black and white. And I was really so small, and it absolutely captivated me. And of course, Blake back then, Seven. Blake Seven was rubbish, but I did watch it. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> just goes, yeah. just goes to show her poor mind, yeah, poor but, my treatment of. But uh, at the time, if you remember, there were rockets going up all the time, so the Russians weren't doing it. The Americans were. It was headline news everywhere. And, uh, just about old enough to remember the moon landings. Wow. And stuff. So I mean, you just think back. Richard on it. has aged well, my <laughs> friends. <laughs> well, yeah, I go back a long way, but um, but yeah, and that sparked um, a love of of space, which sort of migrated into love of the stars as I got a bit older. Um, So my first telescope was absolute pile of junk. Okay, full of springs and plastics, but eventually my brother and sister took pity on me and uh, and gave me this little tiny tabletop little telescope, nicely made as well. And I just discovered it last month, again after all these times, and it still works, would you believe? Wow, fantastic. So that's it, yep, so yep, just watching science fiction things. That's probably what kids today, why they get into it as well. But these days, there are so many more opportunities to get out under a starry sky because we do more with it, do yeah, more yeah. events. Brilliant. Well, I, I take my dog for a walk. I live um, sort of in between Harrigan and Rip and somewhere sort of. But whenever I talk, take her for a walk and looking towards um, towards the Dales, it's always beautifully dark. And uh, my limit of astronomy is, uh, is uh, Orion's belt and uh, and the plough um, and I now know that uh, obviously they, they crop up this time of year t- t- tell me a little bit about them or what else I should be looking out for when I go out there at night well w- w- this is key observing time you know if you're in the autumn and going through the winter I mean I'll observe any time of year apart from in the middle of the summer because it doesn't really get dark very early does it but this time of year we've got the planets on show Jupiter and Saturn I'd look at them last night fantastic the rings of Saturn and that's what we've shown people at Reading Park in some of our stargazing wow. experiences as we've been able to show people the moons of Jupiter, rings of Saturn, people go to the front of the telescope think I've drawn it on. Oh, <laughs> no, you can't. You can just know where to point and have a telescope and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, there are meteor showers coming up. These are sort of little sort of bits of debris from comets and asteroids that burn up in the atmosphere. So we've got a corking one coming up um, in October. There's another one in November. And there's the king of them all, the Geminids, um, in December, always something, and of course, and the are they always a certain time? Or yeah, those things are. But but fortunately, um, if you view the night sky as a product, it keeps changing. 
which is right. very convenient. So I suppose it's like, you know, it's like veggie used to be seasonal, the night sky seasonal. So now, um, yeah, we're getting Orion in the sky. So if you're up about two or three o'clock in the morning, if you look to the east, you're going to see that tremendous hourglass shape coming up, looms large. Christmas Day, it'll be due south. Hourglass shape of sort of, of, of what? Of sort of well, the phosphorescent Greeks, type thing? Yeah, of stars, sorry. Right. So of stars. So the Greeks made the constellations up, if you like. Um, this is Orion the Hunter. That's what he's supposed to depict. To you and I, it looks like an hourglass. So the central okay. belt stars are really his sword belt. But it dominates the scene. And when we do our star, And that's Orion's belt. That's Orion. Well, that's Orion in total. But Orion's belt is the, the sword central three. belt. Yeah. And he's got a dagger coming down. But when you see it under a dark sky, and um, Harrogate's not too light polluted for a, a town of its size, and we're on the outskirts, we get a really quite a nice view of it. You know, right. And it's amazing what you can show people. Clouds of gas where the lights travel 1,500 years to get to us. And it's those kind of memorable moments where people look through a telescope for the first time and have somebody say what it is and how wow. significant it is, whether it's the rings of Saturn or you know, a star cluster or some dying star. And it's the true outward bound experience, and that still beguiles me after all this time. No, I'm not surprised. What about the um, uh, Northern Lights? Apparently, they've been coming down because there was some electromagnetic storm or something, <laughs> uh, and uh, they they should have been. They were possibly able to be as visible south, far south as Newcastle or something. Yeah. So we don't know when we're going to get uh, an aurora. So we get about a few hours' notice typically. But you're right. Um, the sun's become more active, and that means we're going to have more auroral displays. Um, at some point over the next few years, there'll be an aurora visible from virtually all of Yorkshire and lower down. Really? Okay. So if I go back through my little diary where I mark down, you know, notable events, <laughs> I can see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can see that even industrial South Yorkshire, I've been able to see the aurora really? at times. Yeah, but it's 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 a once or a twice in a lifetime type of thing. But the chances of seeing auroras are much improved now and if people come and stay here and if they want to venture out into Nidderdale or the Dales or the Moors, you know, further north and even darker, you've got a pretty good chance actually sometime over the next six, seven months of seeing the aurora. And will you have to look at it through a telescope or will it be no, naked eye? Oh no. You see, your best instruments you've got are your two that you're born with yep. and they're your eyes. So yeah, before telescopes, binoculars, you've got a fantastic wide view, field of view. You pick things up really quickly once you get dark adapted. But seeing an aurora in England is like drinking English wine. Yeah, it's uh, it's to be savoured. Yeah, fantastic. It's, it's quite rare. Yeah. And when we get a good one, that's even rarer. So they're beautiful things to see. And yep, in Yorkshire, in the north in general, we're much more favoured than people in the south. It's just the geography of the So I look directly towards Nidderdale um, when I'm walking mm -hmm. my dog at night. Um, so that's what the way I should look for look the aurora. North. So find a good northern horizon, um, tune your eye and get dark adapted, um, download an app for your mobile phone, it'll ping you. And if you're going to see the aurora, say, where you are, it'll say, just go somewhere dark, look north wow. and be patient. And you might start to see some greens coming up from the northern horizon. You might see some reds. And then you might see some light columns go straight over your head. All these things have happened to me in Yorkshire. Wow. So you've just got to be there. Um, to actually experience it. But how many times do we spend much time in a, in a dark environment? Not enough. Mm. Not enough. Um, so uh, so talking, you know, all this, the, 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 the pillars of light coming past me and all the rest of it, it all sounds um, very um, uh, UFO and, uh, and all of that. Have you ever seen one of them? A UFO? Yeah. Um, You've seen something you can't explain. Well, my family are chip shop owners, so a bit unidentified <laughs> frying object, <laughs> wouldn't it? But... Um, 
Um, yeah, I've seen something I can't explain in terms of when I was a kid and there was a, a star following an airliner coming down from the north. The way it caught the airliner up, just really, really weird, and it was just odd. And even to this day, if anybody asks me that question, I'll just say that. Oddly enough, two weeks ago, I was in the back garden. I looked to the north, and there was this great big white ghostly figure hanging in the sky. And I could tell it was something that was really odd. I thought it was this landing lights of an aircraft going into Leeds Bradford and going through a mist. And I kept looking, I think, no, it's not. And I just absolutely baffled. And then I thought, my God, it's a comet. We're all doomed. And so I raced <laughs> inside and found out on Facebook. It was actually, um, it was a rocket, um, basically coming back into the uh, into the Earth's atmosphere. Really? And it was one of the uh, satellites that was launched. Yeah, and it was just a trap brought it over the UK. And when it fired its rockets, it was just hanging straight over the north wow. near the tree. And it just stood there like a ghost for ages. And that's what it was. Fantastic. If I hadn't have been outside, I just wouldn't have seen it. Seen it. Go, the, the, it's keep your eyes peeled, keep looking, and, uh, and you'll see something that's, uh, that's exactly. fun, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'll, um, while we're talking about you know, UFOs and all the rest of it, our, uh, our man William Shatner, um, uh, 90 years old, he's off into space with um, uh, the Blue Origin Company, isn't he? Um, what, uh, what do you feel about it, about the whole space tourism story? Uh, well, I like it, actually. Um, I don't know. Would you like to go into space, do you think? Would you like to spend two weeks in a small capsule? I mean, how do you feel about Yeah, that? I would. I'd love to spend two weeks in a small capsule not talking to anybody, actually, because <laughs> all, all I do is talk to people all day long. I'd love, love two weeks on my own. It'd be really good, but that's my problem. Um, I'd What I'd love to do is I would love to see um, what the Earth looks like from above. That would just be incredible. Well, I think that's I what think. these do, Blue Origin or, or Virgin Galactic. That's exactly what they do. Because they're suborbital, you... aren't they? Um, yeah, they're sub- both suborbital. So you don't go into orbit and you, um, the Blue Origin one takes you over the international boundary of space, whereas the Virgin Atlantic actually takes you across the American version of where space starts, which is a bit different. So Blue Origin will take you above 60 miles above the Earth's atmosphere. You'll experience weightlessness, which I think is the big draw. Yeah. And also this view of the Earth looking back down and, you know, and I can understand how moving that would be. I personally, I don't particularly want to be shut up in a capsule for months on end. Yeah, these quite small space capsules. I'm quite happy going up and down in half an hour and then going in the club room bar and talking about it. Nice. That would be what it would be <laughs> for me. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think they're, they're very cool things to do and I'm really pleased for William Shatner. He deserves to go into space. Doesn't he just, done eh? for everybody. Exactly. But uh, And I hope he feels that weightlessness. He's, well, he's 90 years old now. Yeah. And I wonder how he's going to feel because presumably he's got arthritis like yeah. 90 year olds have. And just that whole idea of having no weight yeah. on the body again, it could be a liberating thing exactly. for him. But um, let's hope he says something appropriate when he's in space. Well, know. that's right. Uh, whoever, uh, whoever's the, the marketing or PR um, genius for the Blue Origin Company, uh, I think deserves a medal for getting, mm. uh, getting William Shatner tied up. Um, what about, uh, something I've often thought about is, what about all the, all the, the rubbish and clobber that's hanging around in space, or space detritus? Mm. What's your feeling about that and what's happening? Is it all just becoming full of old, old broken satellites? It's a scrapyard of the sky. So there are some satellites that are working, but there's lots of garbage that, that basically stopped working years ago. Rocket boosters, gloves, nuts and bolts, screwdrivers, spanners, the whole works, thousands of thousands of pieces. And of course, now we're going to put these constellations of satellites up. It's going to be rare that you'll be able to look at the night sky and not see something moving across it, if not one or two things. You know, last night I was observing out in the garden, 
loads of things coming through the IP. So we get into a stage now where that innocence of the night sky, yeah. its purity, is rather being sacrificed on the basis of yeah. the mega constellations that, that you know Elon Musk is putting up in the process of. It's causing a lot of concern worldwide. I mean, personally, seeing one or two things moving across the sky, that's great. It's cool. Everybody loves to see it. Seeing loads of them all the time, I think, is going to get a little bit yeah. wearing for people. Yeah, I guess if we're not careful, we're going to get into the same same situation of what we've done to um, to our planet. We're going to do it to space as well if we're not careful. That's it. So really, the laws and the treaties need to catch up with the reality of the situation. So, yeah, there's lots of concern around the world. So let's just hope somebody has some mindfulness to actually find a way of bringing these satellites down so they don't stay up there yeah. forever. Yeah, we'll make it uh, make it financially viable, and somebody will probably do it. Now, you showed me a little bit of an artifact mm. earlier. Well, what's what, what's that? Describe it to uh, to the listeners. Well, this is something I always bring to any talk I do, and uh, this is one of the two uh, meteorites that I actually possess. So these are rocks from outer space, and because they've landed on the Earth, we call them meteorites, not meteors. Yeah, so there's a distinction. Ah, so meteors are still in space, meteorites yeah. land. Or meteors burn up, never make it. Ah, but others okay. make it down to the ground. It's a meteor. It's very, very heavy. It's much heavier than it looks. So what, it's about one inch across, something yeah. like that, by three quarters can of an inch? Can I feel it? Yeah, of course you can. Wow, that is heavy, isn't it? So, What's it made of, lead? Uh, it's nickel and it's iron. So this lands about five or 6,000 years ago in Argentina. In Argentina? In Argentina. And so, um, and How come you've got your hands on it? Oh, I've got connections in Argentina. No, I, <laughs> I bought it from a reputable dealer, would you believe, in Birmingham. But, uh, but yeah, there's always a lot of trade in these kind of space rocks, which is really cool. And just to prove it's uh, nickel and iron, very magnetic... There you go. Wow. Let's have a look. So this is a genuine one of those Tom and Jerry shaped magnet things. Yeah. And I'm now holding up the lump of nickel and iron by the magnet. How cool is that? Mm. And so this came down how many thousand years ago? About five or six thousand years ago. Sometime like that. And the it's older than me, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Four billion years old. Probably comes from somewhere between the orbit of Jupiter and Mars. Blimey. That, that's that's incredible. Um, so, if I wanted to get stargazing, apart from just when I'm taking my dog for a walk and keeping my eyes peeled and all the rest of it, what um, what would you recommend somebody do? Should they shoot out and buy a telescope or some binoculars or what? Well, second one first. Okay, so your naked eyes are always going to be best. Just go up. Yep. Funny, we go to all sorts of star parties. The public come, and we have expensive gear that's cost the you know, arm and a leg and the price of a house. And then we just stand looking at the sky. All right. right. That's often what we do. And that's telling you something. That's what people want to do. want to drink it in. Pair of binoculars. Some 10 by 50 binoculars. 10 is the magnification. 50 is the lens diameter at the front. Yeah. Very portable. Easy to use. I could give you a pair now. We could go outside. And within 15, 20 seconds, you've adjusted them. You're comfortable. You're focused. That's all we need to do. With that, from here, we'll spot galaxies that are millions of light years away. Star clusters. The moons of Jupiter. People don't realise you only need a little bit of help. Yeah, and then later on, get a telescope. We've got a telescope for the hotel that we yeah. use for our events, which is really cool. And we, you know, we can we can use that. We can show people get that much closer, see the rings of Saturn and stuff like that. But in the first instance, keep it simple. Dark skies are always going to be the best thing you get can. Get the old binos out. Get the binos out, and you'll have them for the rest of the world. And you can look at birds in the yep. day if that's what you want to do. Fantastic. Now, I think our our um, telescope, the, the white one, 
uh, cost us about two and a half grand. What do, what do telescopes go up to? I'm obviously not the Jodrell Bank type of telescopes, but what's how much they? Where do they range from? Yeah, to? well, a friend of mine's just embarrassed because he hasn't told his wife he's just bought a twenty-five thousand pounds telescope. Twenty-five grand. Yeah, yeah. So that might get be on. divorce. So <laughs> get on. <laughs> so that's going to be a big one. I think he might be quite addicted to the whole thing. So yeah, <laughs> just but, possibly. Yeah, it's like camera gear. So if you spend a few thousand, you can get something that's going to last a lifetime, and that's the good thing about a lot of telescopes providing the optics are very good they're going to outlast you and i so they can still be used by people way right. down the line fantastic so tell us a little bit about dark skies festival it's happening in february um what uh, what's it all about well we do two festivals at the moment so the national parks in the dales and the moors came together about five six years ago and um, and so i got involved with them as well in terms of dark sky conservation because what we do is outreach, we have fun with the sky, it's very cool to be out there, but we also need to protect it. It's like any other part of the environment, it's fragile, put too many lights in, we'll ruin it. And we'll also do a, a disservice to the wildlife as well. So the festival's about, um, about the outreach part of that, it's about getting people to come to all sorts of events, whether it's... Um, you know, in Nidderdale, in the Dales, in the Awardian Hills, in the Moors, around. It's the biggest festival now anywhere in the UK, Dark Sky Festival, and it all started five or six years ago. Two national parks have done really well. They've worked together. And what, what happens when you turn up? You, you have a tent? Oh, no, we, we all... a bit like Glasgow. Yeah, yeah it, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you, you, obviously the mud's there, yeah. But um, <laughs> all sorts of things. So what we're talking about is, is scores, if not hundreds, of events. So there'll be opportunities to go for night walks, canoe rides under the moon, There'll be some campovers, yeah. There'll be cool. a star camp, if you like, what you've just described. There'll be, you know, in the past we've had people on zip lines in the forest doing it in the night. And, and also, yeah, I think Wild Swimming Under the Stars has been one of them. It's a celebration of the night. So every time now back on the night, you embrace the night and just take it for what it is, just a wonderland of things. And, of course, the stars are the, the main show. But it's not just that. It's about telling people more about so the night. So badger spotting and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, moths and bats and that kind of thing. Not so much in February, obviously, but um, but they're doing a fringe festival this year in October. And they came about to help tourism businesses recover from COVID. So they've carried on going, if you like. So we're doing a smaller one in uh, October half term. And then we've got the bigger one coming up in February I think just basically watch this space look around you'll see Dark Sky Festival mentioned loads of events going on perfect way to get involved you said how should people start in astronomy we'll go to one of them events meet people like me or my friends and we'll tell you how we got started and what we did and the mistakes that we made and what we would have done different so that's an ideal place to do it so yeah great fantastically popular think about February after and people are just raring to go yeah and get under a sky, you know, they're not going to go abroad, they're not going to go for weeks and weeks at the coast, so they, they tend to come inland, they come That's to places cool. like the Dales and the Moors. Marvellous. Well, I've been fascinated. I could actually stay here talking to you for hours. I love talking to people who are um, top of their game, and I think uh, you're certainly top of yours. I would urge any of you, if you get uh, get the chance, to go to one of the Dark Skies festivals and listen to fascinating people like Richard. Uh, of course, here at Rudding, we've got our um, stargazing experiences as well, and you can come and get up close and personal with Richard and, uh, and be as fascinated and wowed as I've been Richard it's been a pleasure thank, thank you, you very, very much, much indeed thank you Pillow Talk the official Rudding Park podcast